Wouldn't it be great if there was one health book out there that actually addressed your whole body, mind, spirit? Well, let me tell you, there is. It is called Clean Eating Dirty Sex. It is not about dirty sex. It is a play off the word clean. Central superfoods and aphrodisiac practices for ultimate sexual health and connection. This book is a healthy lifestyle guide. There are over 40 top experts from functional medicine physicians to registered dietitians to exercise physiologists to psychologists, sexologists, all engaged to help you live your happiest, healthiest life. There are over 50 fantastic, healthy, and delicious recipes. It is also a memoir where I, because I am the author of this book, Lisa Davis, share some very personal stories. Some are heartbreaking. Some are funny to help you get to where you need to be to understand that it does take time to change, but that I am here along with all the other health experts in the book to help you. Don't let the title fool you. This book will help your communication, your intimacy, how you relate to your partner, how you relate to yourself. But if you do what the book says, it will also help you in every aspect of your health. So please go now. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. It's sold in local bookstores across the country. Check it out. Clean eating, dirty sex. The interview coming up is by the wonderful Dr. Winifred Sedhoff. His book, The Friendship Key to Lasting Peace, United Communities, Strong Relationships, Equality, and a Better Job. That is his book, which I highly recommend. We taped this back in February, early February of 2020. So there is no mention of COVID-19. I share stories about going out there and getting out and meeting people. The issues that are in the interview still apply we just have to do them with technology. So I really hope you enjoyed this interview. I just needed to let y'all know that it wasn't recent because you'd be thinking, what is going on with Lisa? <laughs> what is she doing? So I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you so much. I have a pretty full life, but there's something that was missing. And that was having friends in the area where I live. A lot of friends have moved and I left my home of California 20 years ago. And I would have hoped that I would have established some community, but it can be tough here in New England, uh, just saying. (laughs) So I thought I need to change this because I really love having friends and I do have, you know, friends and I, I put air quotes on social media, although some of them have become friends that I actually chat with and talk with, which is great. But it's something about having that face to face interaction. So I did something about it, which I will share shortly. And my life is so much better for it. And I'm going to bring in our wonderful guest right now. He wrote the book, The Friendship Key to Lasting Peace, United Communities, Stronger Relationships, Equality, and a Better Job. I mean, that's all absolutely fantastic. It is Dr. Winifred Sedhoff. Dr. Sedhoff, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing really well because I have a new, really good friend. It's been a few months now, <laughs> and uh, I will share this story quickly if that's okay with you. Oh, please do. Please do. So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to take chances. And it's hard in New England because it's not that people aren't friendly, but they sort of just kind of stick to what they know. And, and, and I'm not going to generalize, but that's been my experience and what other people tell me. It just takes longer to warm up. So I might meet somebody walking my dogs. I'm like, hey, that was great. Do you want to get our dogs together? And sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they say no. And then I was at TJ Maxx and there was a woman there and we just literally only chatted for a few minutes because we were looking at clothes because I had to go pick up my daughter at school. And I just said, I know this may seem odd, but 
would you like to get together sometime and have lunch or something? And she was like, yeah, that'd be great. And then I didn't hear from her for about a week. And I thought, I'm not going to hear from her. And then she got back to me and we have been like, I see her once or twice a week. We text every other day or every day just to check in. And it has enriched both of our lives so much. So that's my story. (laughs) Fantastic. Sounds really good. Yeah. You have to put yourself out there, right? You do. I mean, that's one of the reasons I kind of wrote the book is um, we don't make friends easily these days. It's sort of not like our priority anymore. Um, We live busy lives. It's hard to find the time and we've really got to put ourselves out there and make an effort if we're going to get any friendships at all almost. Right. Unless, of course, we're still, unless, of course, we're still living in the suburb and near our old school friends or the people we've known for a long period of time. But yeah, that's that's we're moving these days. We're up and mobile, so it can make it very, very difficult. In the preface of your book, you write, it would be fair to say friendship had not been kind to me for most of my life. Difficulty making friends in primary school, then years of being ostracized in high school, weeks when I couldn't walk the school year without being called names was devastating at times and often left me feeling sad and alone an alien among colleagues and peers. You know, when you look back at that, do you, would you, like at that kid at that moment, would you think someday I'm going to realize the importance of friendship and not that you didn't, but it just sounds like the kids were jerks. So take us back and tell us what was going on. Yeah. Look, first of all, I don't blame the kids. Um, I've learned, I've learned a lot since then. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, But look, it was, it was a difficult time because you're talking about a young kid who's come from Germany to a country that was at war with Germany. So one of the issues was, yes, first of all, being called all sorts of names regarding to being German um, because, they, because they didn't understand it. Um, then later on, it was for other reasons, priorities that my father, for instance, didn't make friendship very important in our lives. Um, so I didn't have the skill set to be friendly with a lot of people. I was easy to, It was easier for me to be ostracized. And even when I tried to make friends or friends would come over, even then, my father, being the kind of working kind of guy he was, would set me aside and say, no, no, time for friendship. You've got to do some work. So friendships kind of became a really difficult thing. And so I was taught from the beginning that friendships really aren't that important. The only thing that's important is to work, study, get good marks and be successful, whatever that was supposed to mean. So, yeah, I I, I was taught that friendship wasn't that great at all. But then having gone through depression and those other things that happened later, it taught me the exact opposite. It, I was completely wrong, um, completely misled. In fact, I had no idea what friendship was. And I even learned as I was starting to treat people who are suffering depression and loneliness themselves that a lot of them don't understand what depression, what friendship is either. So, yes, that's one of the reasons I kind of wrote the book, so we can make it simpler and sort of work on steps that we can make it easier for us to have make to be friends. It's interesting because when I was growing up, my my childhood was pretty chaotic. My mother was chronically ill and, and it was we had to take care of her. And my escape was going to my best friend's house where her mom would make cookies and take us places. And, you know, it, and she and I would just we were inseparable. We used to tie um, we, we didn't glue our hands together. I think we maybe tried that once. So we would we would take off a sweatshirt sleeve and then she would take off one and we would tie them together and be like, nope, Lisa can't come home because we're tied together. Like. And she's still, we talk like once a week, she's about, she's still in California. And I wouldn't have, I don't think I would be, I mean, it was a rough, it was a rough upbringing. I don't think I would have survived it without her, you know, and, and I, right. It's so key. Isn't it? Okay. And to have that extra support there, I think is fantastic. And I think it's really important. 
And I think we underestimate it so much. I mean, this is kind of why I've been drawn back to tribal ways, the old ways we used to have when we were tribes. And in the tribes, I mean, we had a group of about 30 to 40 people maybe that we actually knew really well. So, yeah, if we had hard time in our family, great, we'd go to our uncles or our aunts or our friend's place or whatever, and we knew that the people there loved us and cared for us, and they really were there for us, and I think we kind of missed that. Well, how do you define friendship? Because I know you talk about in the book that how you came to see it and what it actually really means. The contrast I like to make is how we kind of see it now versus how I look at it now as well. I mean, look, one of my patients actually described the way a lot of us see friendship now is more like just being a nice person and making sure they don't stab you in the back. All right. I mean, friendship today is more like a business transaction. It's something we do quickly. I'll scratch your back. You can scratch mine and then hope we can get along okay. Um, But that's kind of not how I see friendship. I see friendship closer to the way I was sort of uh, getting to with that tribal society. I see it as a group of people who respect each other, who listen to each other, who appreciate each other as individuals, their individual characteristics, who help them to grow up to be better than they are, um, who are always there for each other, knowing that they're going to have our back no matter what. So these are the people that you would actually feel safe sharing your family with, in fact, even giving their their lives of of your family to them, knowing that they would be trustworthy and you know that they'd have your back no matter what. Um, that to me is closer to what the friendship that I'm more interested in. And of course, the more of those 10 components I was talking about that we meet, the closer that kind of friendship we develop. Yeah, that's so true. You know, last year, well, actually, guys, it's been two years now, my my other best friend, because I had two growing up from childhood, um, she passed away suddenly. And mm. it was it was just brutal. You know, yeah. I, I almost went to a support group. I think I should. I went after my mother died. Uh, it'll be 25 years ago that she passed. So losing her was hard enough in my 20s and then losing Colleen. And then yeah. uh, I have a, my other best friend since I was 18. Uh, and I'm I'm 52 now. He uh, unfortunately went to prison. It's a long story. But I still we're still in touch, but it's not the same, you know, like I felt, and that happened around the same time that Colleen passed. I'm like, what? And I just was floundering. And I think that's why too, I put out that extra effort. And now Jacqueline is just fabulous. And she said, you know what? I I really didn't have that many friends either, or they've left. And I just kind of was plodding along and it's like, oh yeah, this is really cool now. Like we've been making, we go to places and we just hang out and we talk and she, she taught me how to use the instant pod and <laughs> fantastic. And we don't see eye to eye on everything. And, and this is an interesting thing because I'm really fussy about people if they don't share my values. And uh, I know my co-host who isn't here today, shout out to Andrea. I won't get into politics, but let's sure. just say I lean a certain way. Uh, let's just say it starts with an L. Okay. so <laughs> Sure. Absolutely. I understand. <laughs> okay. So long story short, my friend, my new friend, I just made assumptions and then we talked. I'm like, oh my gosh, you totally see things, not everything, but a lot of things differently. And at first I was challenged and I, I said to my husband, I don't, I don't know, should I keep going with this? He goes, son, you don't have to see eye to eye on everything, right? She's, this you know, she's a good person. You, you know, you can disagree on politics, but it, it was a struggle for me. And I just feel like, wow, what a waste it would have been if I had just like turned her away because of that. Oh, completely. In fact, you make an excellent point. This often happens even in relationships. All right. You marry someone who's of the opposite political persuasion, to put it 
it's kindly. Yes. Um, and, 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 and we don't really see to eye to eye on those basic things. But this is the fascinating thing that friendship taught me in understanding those 10 components, that one of them is having a sense of sameness. The thing that brings us together is commonality. But looking for commonality is our choice, just like looking for difference is our choice. So if we focus on the differences we have and we just keep talking about them, mentioning them, bringing them up, discussing them, whatever, on a subconscious level, it's a bit like we're actually dividing ourselves. We're not actually being very friendly. But at the same time, we're going to have a lot of things in common. So if we focus on those, even if it's liking the same cup of coffee or going to the same restaurant or wearing the same sort of clothes or the same sort of movies, whatever it is, even if it is hating the same people, <laughs> that can still be fine because it can bring us together and help us to feel like we've got that connection together. So, yes, and we're allowed to agree to disagree. That's part of respect. Yeah, and that's true. That, and that's what the tribes were about. The tribes weren't about, okay, I'm going to agree with everything you say. It was, it was no, okay, I don't have to agree with you because I'm an individual, but also I've still got your back. All right. So, yes, you can be different, but I've got your back. What's so amazing about your book is that you go into friendship and, and look at it in so many different ways that I don't think people thought about. I mean, even just in the title of your book, United Communities, Stronger Relationships. Okay, people might have thought of that. Equality and a better job. Let's talk about the equality piece. I'm If you follow me on social media, I am very big into social justice. And I talk a lot about it. It's really important to me. Uh, I should have another podcast that's just all politics because, again, I'm, I can't bring it up here. But it's just I just see so much inequality and racism and anti-Semitism and things on the rise that just, you know, break my heart. Always Me too. have. Right. And so yep. how is how is friendship going to help this? Well, you see, to me, it, it all happens at the grassroots. And part of the friendship to me is about us putting friendship first. Uh, what I found interesting when I was trying to understand how this all happened was to go back through history, because as I've kind of given you an idea of, I like the idea of tribes, and tribes, yes, they were fighting each other occasionally if they were struggling for territory or there was another group that was lacking resources or whatever it might be, but for a lot of times when you're actually living in the tribes, it was a very peaceful environment. So what I wanted to know was how do we go from living in societies where friendship was really important, united us, kept us safe and secure, to a situation where we've got this inequality that is massive, where you've got a small number of people who own just about everything, and the vast majority have got nothing. So the fascinating thing that I came up with when I realized all this was agriculture. It didn't really change. I mean, human beings were made to be nomadic people, but we weren't made to start hoarding things. But you, you give us farms... And we have to start hoarding because if we don't, then we might not last the next season if it's a bad season. So we started developing desires that we didn't have before because I like to look at this from a desires point of view. And the desires we developed were one of them was a desire for wealth, which we never really had so much. I mean, who's going to carry all your shoes? I mean, hard darling, would you like to carry my 20 shoes? Uh, no, I don't. Um, uh, accumulating, <laughs> accumulating stuff would not be good if you're tra traveling all the time on foot. Right. <laughs> so we had to develop a way of then being able to store things now and we could store them, but it also meant that other people could come and take it too. So we had to make sure other people didn't come and take our stuff. And the way to do that, of course, is one of the ways is to have a bit of status. If we're important to our local community, they'll let us have the extra stuff because they need us to, to do well. But if we don't have that, then the other way is to either buy help or use power and brutality. 
So from a desires point of view, I found it very interesting to understand that when we developed agriculture, we started developing very strong and insatiable desires a lot of the time for wealth, status and power. And then that just led to us creating a brutal competition with each other where we would have prepared to step over others to make sure we had enough compared to those around us. And we're still doing it. And that's been the foundation of every civilization we've ever had. And we're still doing it. And we still haven't learnt. And it's still creating a lot of tension and inequality. And yet we are tribal people. And the tribal person inside us says, this is wrong. We should be caring for each other. We should be sharing. We should be looking after each other. And so we've got this bad uh, conflict happening inside us and in our society at the moment that I think is tearing us all apart. Oh, I think so too. You know, I'm always so grateful to my dad because he always raised me that you don't need a lot and you can live simply. He was an ophthalmologist and all of his colleagues lived in these huge mansions with these incredible bathrooms. As a kid, it was funny. I'd be like, oh my God, I want this bathroom because it's bigger than my bedroom and the, the bathtub, you could have a party. <laughs> it's like Great. Sweet. You could do laps. Yeah, it was great. And then we'd <laughs> yeah. come home from whatever event was at these fancy houses and I'd say, dad, what the heck? Like, why do we live in this, like, just kind of a middle class, basic tract home, not very big home? He said, because you don't need all that. When I got my master's in public health, I knew it wasn't about big money, right? Whether it was health media hey, exactly. or a job as a health educator or, yeah. or whatever it is. It's about doing what you love and having passion. You talk about the 10 desires of friendship. Valued, noticed, appreciated, heard, sameness, validated, approved, respected, cared for, supported, and protected. I want people to get the book. Uh, so just talk to us about a few of those. Sure. So look, my way of understanding friendship is to understand that the aim here is for us to try and meet these desires for other people. It's not to try and get them to meet them in us, which is kind of what we tend to do. So if someone valued, for instance, is about us being able to spend time with each other. I mean, that how much more valuable can we be um, if people actually spend time? In fact, how unvaluable do we feel if no one can ever make the time for us? So one of the keys is we really have to spend that time with each other, even if it just means if you're a, in a relationship, making a good date night. Oh, and by the way, date night doesn't mean watching a movie. Darn it! It, it, it actually means, I know, it means actually talking. I know, <laughs> what the heck? Um, so, yeah, I, I, like, I prefer that we actually talk because it actually gives us a chance to meet the other desires as well, such as the next one, another one, which is feeling heard. There's not enough dialogue. There's not a lot of real conversation happening at the moment. We're living such busy lives that most of us are living in echo chambers of the things we kind of agree with. So we're getting sound bites. We're getting people telling short stories that we either like or we don't like, but we're not really talking and getting to the heart of what other people like and don't like and why and what was their experience. And can I see it from your point of view? And and men and women also have a difference in how they help to feel heard as well. And look, some guys haven't learnt this yet, so just a heads up for you guys out there. Uh, a lot of women don't like to be uh, told a solution once they've told you something bad. Uh, they like to actually just be validated uh, and said, yes, it's terrible. Uh, maybe giving a <laughs> hug would be good. Uh, but don't just find solutions <laughs> for everything. All right. <laughs> I don't know if that's legal yet, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So to me, it's about how we meet those. And we're going to meet them, obviously, in our casual friendships, different to in our relationships, and maybe also different at work. Like another example is feeling noticed. How easy it is if we're in a relationship just to walk in a room and just touch our partner's shoulder, okay, just to let them know that we know they're there. 
it says a lot. Just a simple thing like that can teach us a lot. Of course, we're not going to do that in business. Otherwise, you might get a harassment case against us. Uh, so we're going to be a little bit careful about how we do these things. So yeah, these are just some of the examples. And of course, we all like to feel validated and respected for me is definitely the core of this. No one likes to be ordered around and treated like a slave. And in a hierarchy, whether you're in business or whether we're in our society, we're just getting too much of it. People who are looking down on others rather than, and not even giving them a choice, just saying, okay, you got to do this. All right. Uh, and if you, they don't do it, even if you ask them a question to do it, and if we don't do it, we roll our eyes and say, oh, but I wanted you to do it. Uh, and that's not really giving choice. So I think just there just need a couple of examples of some of the basics of what we can do for each other that can actually help us form those bonds of friendship. Now, I talked about my approach, which was you meet someone, you think they seem cool or whatever, you vibe, and you ask them to get together and they either say yes or no. Uh, what what are some other ways? Because some people aren't that bold. You know, they might be like, that's a little tough. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, look, it's scary making friends. Let's put it that way. And look, and the more we friends we don't have and the less social we are, the more anxiety we get, which just makes it worse. So one of the commonest causes I see of social anxiety when I treat people for anxiety is the fact that they're just not meeting people. And so we kind of lose the skills. And so we don't, and we start thinking all these weird thoughts about, oh, they mustn't think like the way we're moving or what we say or our clothes or we become self-conscious. But a large, large part of it is finding that group of people where we might find some commonality. Now that can be at work. It can be at, a, at a clubs or hobbies where we join. It can be hiking. It can be running. I know a few people who have made some great friends in a running club. Um, some people have done it through cycling. So fitness is a great way of helping to make friends. It can be a book club. It can be going back to study at some point and getting a whole lot of new friends who are who are studying things that you're interested in. I mean, I just am so impressed with oh, you. Thank you very and much. I just think this is so beautiful. And I just wish people would get out there and maybe not do it the Lisa way, but join a group. I love your book, The Friendship Key to Lasting Peace, United Communities, Stronger Relationships, Equality, and a Better Job. Dr. Winifred Sedhoff, how do we learn more about you and your wonderful book? Oh, so I have a webpage, which is under my name, Dr. Winfried Sedhoff, or just Winfried Sedhoff. Just type in W-I-N-F-R-I-E-D-S-E-D-H-O-F-F.com. Uh, and you can have a look at a couple of interesting articles there. And if you want to leave any comments and start a discussion, feel free. free. Feel free. Well, if you live close by, I'd say, hey, let's go out. I'd still like to be your friend. So let's keep it. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Lisa Davis MPH. Stay well.